Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. The Knicks are back to their winning ways. Let's hope it stays that way. A 110 to 102 win over the Clippers at home for a matinee. Gavin, what are we going to get into in this sort of unusual uh, win for the Knicks, considering they don't normally love these matinee affairs? Yeah, it was, it was unexpectedly a fantastic watch. R.J. Barrett and Julius Randle putting together dominant performances with caveats, uh, some fantastic shooting across the board. Nerlens Noel playing for just the second time in a month, looking impressive. We'll talk Mitchell Robinson's injury and the implications for the Knicks' difficult upcoming slate and so much more right now on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Thank you all for making Locked On Knicks your first listen every day. We appreciate you guys uh, letting us into your ears first in the morning or the afternoon or whenever it is you listen to your podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Or if you want to see our faces now and you can see our beaming, smiling, happy faces today since the Knicks won, you can check out YouTube. Uh, just search for Locked On Knicks. We're on YouTube now. We're uh, you know, making videos and stuff. You can see our sweet intro video package, all that good stuff. But check out the YouTube if you haven't already. Uh, I am Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at thestrick.land. He is Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And we are breaking down the Knicks win over the Clippers, 110-102. to 102. Uh, Gavin, I'll say this much about this game. You know, there, there were times where in other games in recent Knicks history, uh, you know, be it over past years, uh, like five days ago, you know, whenever, um, I would have gotten a little nervous at a couple moments in this game. Uh, there was, you know, the Knicks started off with the lead, you know, and they actually managed to lead wide to, wire to wire in this game, which has been an unusual occurrence for them. But you know, then they had a couple moments of let up. You know, there's a little bit in the first half where the Clippers kind of made things interesting before the Knicks sort of pulled away before the half again. There was uh, some times when Randall was having issues with uh, double teams from the Clippers, which was not great. And but he managed to pull it together and and finish things off strong. There was times when R.J. Barrett, you know, and this sort of continued all the way through the end of the game. He just seemed allergic to his 30th point. In this game, you know, he just couldn't make a bucket down the stretch. Uh, maybe he was in his own head a little bit. Maybe it was just bad luck. But, uh, you know, he got to 28 points and then just couldn't quite put the capper on it. And the Clippers managed to sort of make things a little close again. You know, coming down the stretch, the final minutes of the game, got it to as close as six with 30 seconds to go. Yet, I never felt like there was any chance that the Knicks were going to lose this game. Uh, I thought that it was... I don't know. I just had this sense of of comfort, I guess, that I don't normally have with this team. And it was really interesting. I I don't know how you felt throughout it, but that was just kind of my feeling 
and, and I will say I was lucky enough to have been in the building for this one too. So maybe it had something to do with like not just viewing it through the lens of a TV viewer, but I, it felt way less dramatic to me than it maybe could have been or, or would have been for other times for the next this year or otherwise. You know, Alex, I uh, was was at a bar in Midtown watching Chelsea Tottenham while this game was going on. And when I got home, I meant to just watch the game. But without thinking about it, I opened up ESPN and saw the final score. So I, I watched this game with a whole lot of confidence and, and uh, was not really worried because I already knew the Knicks uh, were going to win. But I think a big part of that was, uh, one, I think it, it says a lot about this Clippers team that without Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, like there just wasn't anyone that put fear into me, like Eric Bledsoe, Serge Ibaka, Terrence Mann, uh, BJ Boston, on and on and on. Like it just it felt like the Knicks were were sort of toying with them. And granted, look, the Knicks have played plenty of teams this year that they should have toyed with, like the Pistons, the T Wolves, the Thunder. Um, when all those teams were down bodies due to COVID, and they went, I, I guess they went two and one in those games, but they could have very easily gone like one and two or zero oh and three in those games. So that's that's not to like you can't diminish any win with this Knicks team. Heck, to your point, the Pelicans a few days ago. Um, but I think part of the reason was the competition. Part of the reason was Julius Randle and RJ Barrett. It wasn't just that they had good games. It was that they controlled the game with their physicality. And that, that's something that I think you can rarely say about the Knicks this year. And, and we always talk about their lack of cohesion offensively, but sometimes like an element of that is like, there's just no overwhelming aspect of this team or no consistently reliable overwhelming aspect of this team and we don't have that one guy or that one concept to fall back on inevitably you're gonna sort of be like clenching your gut down the stretch of every single game and I think the fact that RJ to your point it, it, it dimmed out the last six or seven minutes but before that was really dominating this game in transition whether it was getting all the way to the rim or, or just like zipping passes out to the perimeter for shooters like it, it felt like he he just had like it's sort of like a classic LeBron game where again, that's, that's lofty territory, but where he was just dictating the pace of play. And it felt like he could get to the rim for two whenever he wanted. And similar stuff with Randall, the Randall was using it a little bit more to pass than to shoot. Um, I just, I felt like those two guys were clearly the two best players on the court. And when you have that, and when you have those two getting to the rim a whole lot, um, it just feels like you're not going to lose the game. Yeah. I mean, to, I don't think we've actually given the stat lines yet, but you know, the, the comparison doesn't feel super lofty when you see, 28 points, 14 boards, 6 assists out of R.J. Barrett. 24 points, 9 rebounds, 5 assists out of Julius Randle. You know, they, they both, it, to your point, they were dictating the flow of the game together. And, like, that's so key. You know, I just think that they both knew what their role was, right? Like, Randle, after a while, and I alluded to this, you know, a, a second ago, but, like, the, the Clippers weren't paying him as much mind as some teams do early on. And it almost seemed calculated once you saw what they did later on, which was all of a sudden on a dime, they switched to throwing really aggressive doubles at him. You know, they, at first they kind of just had Nick Batum, which like, shout out Nick Batum. I don't know if it was just more impressive, like in person or what, but that guy for being like 33, 34, however old he is. I mean, and, and a guy who looked like he was almost washed out of the league like a year ago. I mean, he he just did such a great job on Randall one-on-one in this game. Uh, but then, you know, they start throwing these doubles. Randall starts looking a little flustered, and you start thinking, like, ah, oh, crap, you know, maybe this is going to, you know, kind of break his spirit a little bit. Like, he had a couple of turnovers that were kind of not great. There was also, I mean, I hate to keep coming back to officiating lately, but I thought that he was getting hacked, you know, as he was attempting to make passes out of the doubles, which, regardless of if you're shooting or not, that's still a foul. Um and he wasn't getting, you know, calls on that. He looked like he was maybe getting a little flustered. But 
credit to him. He really settled in and, you know, found his groove and did a great job uh, down the stretch of this game of dictating the pace, passing out of those doubles, finding open shooters. Um, and then RJ sort of just operated as like the, the guy who knew that he was talented enough to get his that knew he also didn't have to deal with doubles because they were so concerned with doubling Randall that they kind of just let RJ play one-on-one by and large. And he was just too good for whoever was matched up against him in this game. And, you know, that led to him in transition for one thing, but also just in the half court, I was, I was really impressed with how he was just sort of controlling the pace. You know, he, for a large swath of possessions in a row, he got the ball and was the guy in charge of, you know, whether it was going to be an assist or a, you know, bucket by him or whatever the case may be, RJ was in charge of making it happen. And I thought he just did a phenomenal job of doing that uh, for this whole game, like start to finish. But, you know, especially once he really, really got cooking in like the third quarter or so. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on both those guys. R- RJ finished the game nine for 24, but it, it didn't feel like that. If, I think part of that was padded by a fourth quarter where, to your point, he just couldn't hit a shot. Um, but it, it felt like he was super efficient. And and I'll go back to what I said earlier. It just felt like those two guys, like the level of game control that they had was just ridiculous. And for RJ, I mean, it started off with his passing, right? Like he had like this sick like hook lob to Mitch for a dunk and then this like no look whip pass into the corner. Um, that led to like a swing swing sequence that got Alec Burks at three in transition. I mean, he threw like a number of like he he just he just created stuff out of nothing, right? Like like in like off of made baskets, like a hard push that set up Evan Fournier for three, and then he went coast to coast um, for a layup. And that was when uh, Breen mentioned that he was up to twenty one points in in twenty one minutes. I mean, another one that got Julius Randle free throws like over and over again. Just just the sheer force that he was applying was was really awesome, and it felt like. Um, he, he was just like like physically and again part of this is no Kawhi Leonard no Paul George right so the Clippers were I think thin on the thin on the wing in both senses of the word like like physically like someone like Brandon Boston just got dislodged when RJ was was trying to drive uh to the rim against him and then for Randall I thought it was it was very similar where he started off the game and it was all shooting right it, it was like the long like step back two it was the open three that he hit um and and, and it was just it was one of the few times this year where you could watch Randall in the opening minutes of a game and say, oh, he's on track to have have a good game. Um, and then leveraging that shooting, like he he had this one pass, I think it was in the fourth quarter, where he rose up as if he was going to shoot the whole time, never looking at the corner. And it was it was the rare because in the NBA, a lot of times guys will throw BS no looks, right? Where they where they stare down the guy, turn away for a second, then do a no look. This was a genuine no look uh, to Alec Burks in the corner, uh, continued it getting all the way to the rim. On and on and on. Um, did did have two bad turnovers down the stretch. Like I got really excited because I thought he finally figured out the double teams for a moment. Um, because he got this sick assist to RJ on one of them, and then it felt like he sort of like lost that patience a little bit, or maybe it was too patient and, and wasn't decisive enough, and then get the ball out of his hands quickly enough because he did have a couple turnovers down the stretch. Um, but I thought he was trying to make the right reads against the double team. And MSG threw up this quote from Tom Thibodeau before the game and said, hey, Julius, we know he's a great player. He just has to put an emphasis on getting all the way to the rim. And the question I have coming out of this game is, was it that Julius was more focused on doing that? Or was it just that the Knicks hit enough threes that he could actually get all the way there? But before we get into that conversation, Alex, we should take a quick break and tell everyone about True Bills. So I am going to do just that. Do you know why free trials renew without your consent? 
It's a business scam out to get you. Don't let greedy corporations pocket your money. Download Truebill to take control of your subscriptions. Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. Just link your accounts, and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. Truebill is over 2 million users and help them save over $100 million. Like Matthew B, who says, in a matter of seconds, I saved 660 for the year on my DirecTV bill. Saved $120 for the year on my Series XM bill. Saved 840 on my car insurance. So don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. Go right now, Truebill.com slash LockedOnNBA. It could save you thousands a year. And today's show is also brought to you by Built Bar. It's the new year, so that means New Year's resolutions. If yours is about getting fit or eating healthier, make sure you include Built Bar in your plan. Built Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Built Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolutions because it tastes so good. You'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars, which could be chalky or waxy or taste like a chemical spill. I know I can speak from experience. I have been getting back to the gym Thanks to the new year rolling over. I mean, I kind of just wanted to do that anyway. But of course, you know, new year presents a great opportunity to do that. And I've been eating a lot of built Bars lately. It's been really helping me. I was, <laughs> I got sick to start the year, so I wasn't able to get to the gym right away. And I went back this past week. And uh, let me tell you, my body was on fire afterwards. And I needed every bit of that protein in my built Bar. But I know when I'm eating them that there's not a ton of other crap in the bars because they have just 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and 4 grams of net carbs, and a whopping 17 grams of protein that really helped my muscles recover after working out. So if you want to get some Built Bars for yourself, head to Built.com and use promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. And we just wanted to quickly thank everyone again for making Locked On Knicks your first listen. And the NBA trade deadline is Thursday, February 10th at 3 p.m. Eastern. And Locked On NBA will be covering it live from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Join Kim Becker, John Corrales, Locked On Fantasy Basketball host Josh Lloyd, and NBA veteran Antonio Daniels and get analysis of every blockbuster move. Subscribe to the Locked On NBA YouTube and turn your notifications on. So you know when they go live. All right, Gavin. So to continue, uh, do you want to finish that thought on Randall? Or do you want to talk about some other elements of this game, such as uh, Mitchell Robinson and how well he played before he unfortunately got hurt? Um, how well Nerlens Noel played? Things of that nature. But it, I'll throw it to you. What do you, what do you think it? Yeah, I don't know. I just think it's I think it's a relevant point because I think I, I mean, it's something I've mentioned on the pod in the past, but. I think all year we've been driving home this idea, right? That, oh, Julius, he just has to be aggressive. He just has to get to the rim. And to like pay Julius like a little respect and and, and deference, um, it's it's not easy to drive to the rim when you have a center park there. And also when your own shot isn't falling. I mean, it was something that Benji noted, like like things have been clogged all year because the Knicks have essentially played with two non-shooting bigs, which most teams in the modern NBA do not do. And and if Randall, like again, like last year, at least he had he had his own gravity to leverage where he could pump and go by guys. And and this year, even though the shooting around him is nominally better, he doesn't have that. And you still have the center parked at the rim. And I mean, I'd be interested to like ask Tibbs about that specifically and say, all right, how much of this is on Julius? How much of this is on like the offensive structure? And, and today it all looked really good because the Knicks were raining home threes. 
But I think this is where you see the consistency from this team and, and where they're ultimately like most average NBA teams or like on the nights shots are going down, everything looks pretty good. And when there's on the nights that shots aren't like it, it all looks like ugly and like mush. And, and I know that sounds like an oversimplification, but the Knicks came out on fire in this game. What was it? They made seven of their first eight from deep. And that allowed Julius to like, not that he was immediately bulldozing his way to the bucket, but that allowed him to get into a nice rhythm. And I, I will say the one other point on this um, that uh, I know like Benji Ritholtz pointed out on Twitter. And I saw other people point out on Twitter. Um, Julius had that, that gorgeous back cut for a dunk, right? Where IQ hit him on that nice bounce pass. That's the kind of stuff that he can do off the ball. Um, that it, obviously having shooting and spacing helps, but that's somewhat independent of the other guys. Like that's just sort of on him to make the decision to do that consistently. And that's another way for him to get close to the bucket. And as we've seen in past games, that could be for him to go all the way to the rim for a dunk or to stop on the short roll and set up the center for a dunk. So another option for him, but I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that because to me, like sometimes, like I think we unfairly say, all right, he's just got to put his head down, but if he's going to put his head down and there's going to be three defenders there, what, what's the point? Yeah, I, I'm with you. You know, it's it, it is sort of a a conundrum, and you know, it, it the other thing that adds to it is the fact that you know we say the same thing for RJ too, and RJ to his credit has I think been doing a really good job to get to the rim, but his is usually set up via a pick and roll, right? Like that's how they free up RJ Julius. It's it's not always that you know he's often getting it on the perimeter and then trying to take advantage of the fact that he's a little more laterally quick than like most of the guys that guard him. And or and or stronger, you know, it's one of the two. And in this game, I felt like he was stronger than his defender a lot. Like he was, they were doing a good job of generating switches where he would get like Reggie Jackson on him or something, and um, you know that that would give him this huge size advantage. You know, as he got himself down low to try to get in to to make a bucket down there. But like, you know, it's the other thing to consider is that, and you know, I keep going back to this well, but that they don't always get the calls down there either. So I think that Julius has been discouraged a lot by the fact that he gets in there and he attempts to finish strong, even if he is going in amongst three defenders and then he'll get slapped on his arm and his head and his, you know, shoulders and everything else and, and not get a foul call out of it a lot. We even saw RJ today. I mean, I, I actually, so I saw the game in person, but then I, um, and it, so I obviously saw this moment play out, but then, you know, I saw it uh, play out on TV as well. And I could hear, what RJ Barrett said to uh, the one ref today. And RJ is not someone that typically ever wears his emotion on his sleeve on a basketball court, other than maybe just a little jubilation after a dunk or something. But like, I mean, he went up, thought that he got very fouled. I agreed with it. I mean, I was sitting in my seat at the game, like screaming, like, like, where's the foul here? Like, come on. Like, what is, what more does he have to do? And, you know, he, he literally like, Zubats got the rebound afterwards and RJ fouls him just so that he could yell at the ref. And when I watched it on TV on the, the replay before we recorded this, I could, I heard what he actually said and I won't repeat it. Cause it's not, uh, it's not locked on Nick's friendly. Um, but I mean, it was, it was just uh, more or less. It was like, what the F do I have to do to get a call or something along those yeah. lines? But you know, it, it, it just goes to show. I mean, I think that that's been sort of a deterrent for them getting to the inside because they think, well, you know, we're not getting calls when we get there. So what's the point? You know, it's like, we're trying to finish strong. Cause that's just what we do. Like Julius and RJ are big, strong lefties. And you know, when they get in, they try to, they try to get a decent shot up. They're not there to just flail and try to get a, a free throw opportunity. Cause you know, <laughs> we all know how tough that is for them. A lot is going to the free throw line with two shots lately. Uh, so they're trying to finish the basket, 
Um, but to your point too, you know, it it would certainly help matters along if they had, you know, this is where you can maybe see, even if there's questions, like I certainly have my questions about how much it would raise the ceiling of the team uh, or how like legit it would make them, you know, from like a contention perspective. But, you know, this is where you look at a move like a Miles Turner where it's like, okay, this is a guy that teams have to at least respect at the three-point line. Uh, but they also have to respect him on the inside enough, you know, because he's a, a big body and he can finish lobs and stuff like that to where he's like, you know, the type of guy that you could see maybe giving Julius Randle more space to operate in those situations where he's sort of just taking someone one-on-one off the dribble and trying to get to the hoop, uh, you know, having a Turner spacing out to the corner or like we've seen Taj Gibson do from time to time with mixed results, depending on how much teams want to, you know, pay mind to him. That's, that's the sort of move that can be, you know, or the sort of player that can make that sort of thing uh, uh, more viable for the Knicks going forward and, and maybe make their, you know, attempts to try to get to the rim uh, a little easier, you know, than, than they have been currently because schematically and personnel wise, it's, it's definitely been pretty difficult for them so far this year. Yeah. And that's obviously, I mean, maybe, maybe it won't happen at this point, but the whole theoretical appeal of miles Turner is that you get what Tibbs wants, you get the rim protection and you get enough spacing that I think, I mean, I think a player of that ilk would, would transform Julius Randall into a completely different type of player. And, and given that his shot from last season, at least is proving to probably have not been sustainable now about 40 games into him shooting more in line with what he's done his whole career. Um, I think if you're going to keep Julius Randall, then it doesn't have to be Turner, but there isn't a long list of those guys in the NBA that can genuinely protect the rim and, and be a genuine threat from three. You got to look into something like that. And I think, I think we're pretty definitively getting that answer this season in terms of how you have to build around Randall if you want him to be your primary option. Um, but Alex, do you want to get into the Mitchell Robinson stuff a little bit? Uh, but maybe first we should tell people about uh, Bet Online. Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and a new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit if you use our promo code Locked On to get started from football, basketball, hockey, boxing, and UFC right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for 2022. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Bet online where the game starts. All right. Um, Mitchell Robinson, probably not someone who will get dealt at this deadline, but you never know. Um, but complicating that, if the Knicks were intending to deal him, uh, suffered a sprained ankle in this game. Um, unless there was an update that I missed. Uh, we don't yet know the severity of that there, ankle. There was. Oh, go ahead. Oh, there was an God. update. Thank God. There was, yeah, there was an <laughs> update from Mitch himself. Sure. On Twitter, who just said, don't worry, I just tweaked it. So there you go. <laughs> oh, beautiful. All right. Well, presuming presuming that he might sit out at least a game this week, maybe maybe a little bit more than that. Maybe not at all. But we'll, we'll live in the hypothetical where he could miss games this week. I find that to be a pretty big deal, given who the Knicks are playing this week. Uh, they, they have probably their toughest three-game stretch of the season so far with the Cavs, then the Bucks, then the Heat. And the bigs on those teams are all-stars. Uh, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, who, who's not an all-star this year, but certainly a future one. Uh, then Giannis. Then Bam Adebayo, who's uh, healthy and thriving again for Miami. So, Alex, I'll throw this your direction. 
how do you expect the Knicks to handle that? Because this was a situation where it was like, finally, like Mitch's added weight plus his regained mobility. This is what he did it for, these types of matchups. Um, and now he, he might be missing. Thankfully, the Knicks get Nerlens Noel back uh, fresh off his best game of the season. Yeah. <laughs> Can we talk about how those the last two in a row with uh, the Bucks and the Heat is going to be like uh, the all-Clyde team? The... <laughs> Atapupu, you know, however he oh says, Anatakumpo, and then uh, and then Atabato. Atabato's good. Bam, yeah. Atabato. It sounds um, like a very like niche hot sauce you would get at Whole Foods. Yeah, or just like a weird way of saying avocado. Sure. Uh, <laughs> at any rate, um, yeah, it's it, you know, it, it definitely is not the best time to lose Mitch ahead of those matchups. Um, I thought he played great in this game. You know, and, and was just I was further impressed with just how he was handling things. You know, I thought that he got a little thrown off at one point. Um, you know, my wife actually noted this like during the game, and then when I was rewatching it, that like there was a sequence where he got fouled somewhat hard, at, uh, you know, going for like a a putback, and sort of landed on his hip, and he seemed like he sort of like had to walk it off, airballed his next free throw right after that, and then flubbed the dunk uh, after that as well. Um, where he, you know, got a really nice feed from Julius Randle and then just kind of boinked it off the, the back of the rim when he went to try to go up for it. So, you know, maybe he was already sort of feeling that. Maybe that's what caused him to land weird on the ankle or whatever, too. I don't know. But either way, you know, once he sort of shook that off, you know, that that weird little maybe got a hit pointer or something. Once he was able to shake that off, I mean, I thought that he looked great. You know, he was getting up for rebounds. He was being a deterrent at the rim. He didn't get any blocks in this game, but, you know, he was it, he was being fearsome in there. And that's all, all that you really need out of him. And I think that's what he understands now, that he doesn't have to chase blocks so much anymore. Uh, but luckily, like you said, you know, we got – I think this is Nerlens Noel's best game of the season. And, you know, maybe I'm a little biased. Like, it, it was very exciting to be in a crowd where he was forcing these steals and everything using his quick hands and, you know, looking like the Nerlens of old. So maybe I've got, maybe I'm forgetting a game from like very early in the season, you know, like after he first got back, but I think this is about the healthiest that he looked all year. Um, and, and certainly the best that he looked as far as his timing and his instincts and all that three steals in a block in this game, eight points shoots four or five, had a made a jumper <laughs> made like sort of a little hook floater at one point. I mean, just, wild stuff from him from the guy that normally can't catch the ball um and still couldn't fully today to be completely clear but you know i I thought that he looked like he had his timing back i think that he gives them a much better chance against certain guys i don't know if he's necessarily i mean nobody is a ideal matchup for Giannis, obviously um nobody is a perfect you know one-to-one matchup to go up against bam or up against uh jared allen but I think if if he can play like he did today, and actually shout out to Taj too, who I thought once he had to come in did a pretty good job too. Um, even though it, he had almost a zero stat line in in six minutes, but uh, and also four personal fouls, so that's kind of becoming a trend with Taj lately, unfortunately. But all in all, I thought I thought they both did a pretty good job, and it looked much closer to the Knicks center rotation of last year, uh, where you know when Mitch was out, I should say. Um, where those two really held things down, I think, in the second half and did a good enough job of kind of, you know, keeping the keeping Zubats, you know, was the main, you know, big on the Clippers that really had to be held in check. But they also had Hartenstein out there who basically did nothing. Um, and, and I thought that, and Abaka, who did, he actually had a pretty solid game, but 
you know, all in all was not like torching the Knicks or anything. And, and it, I thought that it was just a good effort overall from both those guys, but especially Noel getting back to his old ways as far as like disrupting passing lanes, making people fearful at the rim. You know, that, that's when he's at his best is when he's quick and he can make quick decisions and poke balls away from people and just generate events. And he generated plenty of events in this game. And so while I would prefer to have Mitchell Robinson, I hope it is just a tweak. I feel a little better about having, you know, Noel as the potential starting center this week, given how today's game went compared to the rest of his year so far. Yeah, I think I think that's well said. He he also he like I can't remember if he went in, but he whipped a pass out to the corner for a three at one point. I was like, wow, Nerland's uh, throwing that one. Maybe he's just had a lot of time to watch film, uh, given Maybe. given how injured he's been this year. But yeah, it was it was nice to have him back. The term I always go back to with Nerland's Noel is event creation and his ability. I mean, as as explosive as Mitch is, um, or or has been recently, regaining everything and like he'll block some big shots. He doesn't generate turnovers nearly the same way uh, Noel does. Um, a lot of times Mitch's blocks are more of like the like swat it like hard out of bounds variety. Noel is more of like the keep it in Bill Russell school of blocking uh, plus the quick hands on steals like uh, letting guys get behind him and then trying to poke it away, which some people rightfully take issue with because it, it all it can backfire quite a bit. But yeah, it was it was great to have the old Nerlens back and you remember why this guy was arguably worth $10 million and and led the entire NBA in defensive box plus minus a year ago. But I don't want to belabor the point. Uh, I want to move on to Emmanuel quickly, who I thought was, um, I didn't shoot the ball um, incredibly well in this game. Three for eight, two for three from three, all fine. The six assists in 18 minutes uh, stand out to me. And and look, he got, he was he was hitting early. He hit, the, he hit those two quick trigger threes um, that helped the Knicks get off to that really fast start in the first quarter and keep up with the Clippers who were also bombing away from three. Um, but then after that, it was it was all about his passing. Uh, to me, the one that stood out, and Alex, I'm, I'm curious what this looked like in person. I thought this was maybe the best pass I've ever seen him throw in his career uh, where he got the rebound off a tip, sped up the court, uh, like fundamentally sound fast break, get the ball to the middle of the floor, and just zipped like a one-handed like sidearm slung bounce pass uh, to RJ, hit him on the money, uh, for a layup going down the court, and it was it was another uh, point in the in the bucket for uh, point IQ people who make those arguments. Again, I don't I don't particularly clear don't particularly care where you designate him. The guy can just flat out pass the basketball, and in, in the half court, his speed just creates so many openings that even when he doesn't get the assist, he's often getting the hockey assist now. And I I've, I mean I'm just I'm enjoying watching him play. It feels like the same guy we saw in summer league this past year. Yeah, I feel the same. You know, I, I love that pass to RJ. Honestly, the, the one that got the biggest pop out of MSG was the OB dunk, but that had more to do with OB's dunk than IQ's pass. That was a great look from him. I mean, you know, to your point, you know, he he can make the great baseline whip around pass to RJ. He can make the great, you know, just kind of simple pass where that fast break with OB, you know, they – he could have reasonably gone up and tried to, you know, draw a foul himself or something, but he recognized the situation and said, you know what, I can wait till the last possible second and then, you know, bail out and just toss this behind me to Obi because I know Obi's right behind me and I know he's going to have a better chance of, of, you know, converting this and yeah. getting it on through. Luke Kennard. On Luke Kennard. <laughs> yes, on Luke Kennard, which Luke Kennard, man, that guy, that guy's a pretty pure shooting stroke. I was really annoyed with how many shots he hit. Oh, uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, and then Obi, of course, busts out the his like signature move now the the go up for the dunk and then pull the ball under the defender's arm and then bring it back up really quick with the double pump for the dunk. Just oh, gorgeous, gorgeous stuff in person. I my jaw dropped. Um, but like so, 
I, I think as far as the IQ point, yeah, I'm with you. It, I think the main thing that people get hung up on with like the, is he a point guard? Is he not a point guard? Is that he doesn't do things the same way that say like Derek Rose does, right? Like he's not just abusing you with speed over and over and being like, haha, look how I can get by you with relative ease, you know, and then generate looks for my teammates that way or finish at the rim myself or whatever the case may be. He's just kind of like it's we say this about him. We say this about RJ all the time. You know, they're all about guile and, you know, pace and tempo. You know, it's almost like he's like the <laughs> he's he's not a fast so to make a Mets reference. Like he's not Jacob deGrom throwing 100 mile an hour fastballs. So the deGrom obviously does so many things better, too. But he's not doing that. You know, he's not just or Syndergaard, let's say, throwing 100 mile an hour fastballs, so even though Syndergaard's not on the team anymore. He's more like like Bartolo Colon, you know, like just throwing, he might only be throwing an 80 mile an hour fastball at you, but he's putting it exactly where it needs to be and doing it at just the pace it needs to be to get you to swing and miss on it. And that's sort of how IQ, I think, approaches point guarding, so to speak. And I think that's why, it, you know, he's able to, even without having that mega, mega elite burst that allows him to just do a quick two dribble crossover and then explode to the rim uh, for a dunk or a layup or whatever, he can still break down a defense and, and set up his teammates as long as his teammates know what he's doing and know to get in the right places for him, which they did in this game. He managed to find three fantastic dunks in this game between the, the Obi one, the RJ one and the Julius cut that we talked about. So I, I love what I'm seeing out of him. I hope that he keeps getting these sort of it keeps getting in this role where he's more the, the backup point guard off the bench. Um, maybe even when Derek Rose comes back, you know, try to, Still find him reps that way because I think he's really valuable in that way. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to also just shout out Quentin Grimes. Like, uh, yeah, I, I didn't think that. Obviously, he had a really terrible game shooting the ball two of ten, two of six from three. You know, six points, but he was the guy that stood out to me on the court, like in person, of just like he was ruthless on defense in this game, and he never got beat once that I can recall. Like he just. And for whatever reason, I just kept zeroing in on him. I, I guess maybe because once he played such good defense the first couple times that I was looking his direction, I just kind of started tracking him around the court. And he was the guy that I was watching the most on defense uh, other than Cam Reddish for his brief moment when he was in, which I'm sure we'll quickly touch on. But, like, Grimes was just all over whoever he was assigned to. And he was drawing, like, some pretty tough assignments. Like, they had him on um, – they had him on Reggie Jackson for a bit, which that's a tough matchup. And Jackson had somewhat of a day, but I felt like every time that Grimes was on him, he made a couple tough shots, but Grimes made his life difficult all day. Didn't give him too many easy ones. Um, you know, he was, I think he was also on man for a little bit um, and on Kennard. I mean, he kind of bounced around as to who he was guarding, but every person that he was guarding, I was like, wow, their life just got a lot harder because Quentin Grimes is on them. And I just, it's nothing new for him, but I just thought I'd give him a shout out because if you just looked at the box score, you'd be like, oh, Grimes had kind of a rough day. But like, no, there's a reason that Grimes wound up playing 20 minutes and the second most minutes off the bench. And that's because, I mean, he just crushed it on defense in this game. I thought he was probably the most integral part of their of their defense in this this whole game. Yeah, Alex, it's funny. Uh, Grimes is actually the guy I was going to mention next, but for a different reason. And that was his ability to attack closeouts. Like he, he just, he has a burst that I didn't really expect out of him. I mean, given his reputation coming out of Houston, which was just a sort of a pure shooter. And then obviously you do more research on him and you realize he was a five-star point guard 
coming out of high school and you're like, okay, it sort of makes sense that that part of his game is there. But the comparison I keep using for him is Danny Green, which, which to be clear, is, is lofty territory. Like there, there's a world where Ray Allen misses that shot in game six of the 2013 finals and Danny Green has the finals MVP on his ledger. I don't know if Grimes is going to quite hit those levels as a shooter because Green at one point, like just in terms of pure shooting ability, was probably top three to five in the NBA for at least in terms of like his role, which was catch and shoot three pointers. Um, but Grimes burst, I think is something that green did not have and will ultimately make him a more versatile player and, and a more dangerous overall offensive player. Um, and, and once the shot gets to a point where it's at a consistent 40% and I'm sure as he continues to get older, like he'll get better and better around the bucket. Like we've already seen some acrobatics from him at the rim. And, and, and when the mid range game improves, like today, he, he took like a pump blow by his guy, like one dribble, 15 footer he's he's someone who i think there's latent upside there that at least i I don't want to speak for anyone else from my perspective i certainly didn't see when the knicks drafted him like if he has seasons where he's averaging between 16 18 points per game that won't shock me and previously i thought he was someone who would be like 12 points per game good three-point shooter good defender i think there's another level for him there because he has that burst yeah i'm with you uh you know i i think that clearly tibbs sees something in him and he's going to keep getting time and Obviously, we see some stuff in him, too. And, you know, I think offensively and defensively, he has a lot of room to grow. And maybe we shouldn't quite put a cap on his ceiling yet. But I, I guess we'll see as far as that goes. Obviously, he's still a rookie. So we'll let things keep playing out. But I, I really like what we've been seeing out of Grimes. I'll just quickly, before we close out the show, because we're starting to, starting to run a smidge long, uh, I'll just say Cam Reddish played his first minutes, got five minutes in the first half, got the biggest ovation from the Garden crowd other than intros. Uh, in this game and he I thought I mean they clearly didn't draw up a play for him or anything on offense which I was kind of hoping to see just like one set drawn up like hey let's find Cam Reddish a look mostly he was just in the corner it's fine he's brand new to the team uh, you know but I thought he integrated himself pretty well into the team defensive concept he didn't look lost or anything which is good to see and he had one transition opportunity where I think he just kind of called his own number, but I liked it. I liked the bravado. Uh, you know, he, he took it in transition. It wasn't exactly an ideal transition setup. Like the, you know, the clips were able to get back and almost get set into their defense. Yet he just took his guy off the dribble, went baseline, got a really nice reverse layup. I thought it was a good take from him. Uh, Gavin, I don't know if you have anything to add to his, uh, to his scouting report based off those five minutes, but, I felt encouraged and I'm like, you know what? Let's keep finding him some more minutes somehow. Cause I, uh, I like what I saw in the first couple here. I, I thought he looked pretty good. Yeah. I don't, I don't really have anything to add, but I'm, I'm excited to see him play more. I think I'll, I'll say that much. And I'm interested to see like where Tibbs uses him once he gets more acclimated. And I mean, and there, there's a quote from Tibbs before this game saying like, look, we have a set rotation. He's going to have to work his way through it. Um, I wonder, I wonder what that looks like as the season goes on. Because I have a feeling this next team post deadline, like a spot will probably open up. But that is something that we will find out on a future day. Until then, he's Alex Wolf. I'm Gavin Shaw. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, again, if you're not already, please subscribe on YouTube. We are getting very close to a thousand. I was joking about uh, Alex. I don't know if you caught it. I was saying uh, Benji uh, would commit to going and uh, making a film thread on your pickup game if you were a thousand subscriber. And Benji, Benji immediately agreed. So that's an option, but but we will we will do something cool um, if there's a way to exactly determine that. But regardless, please go subscribe. We're getting closer and closer, and we really do appreciate it. Until next time, uh, which will be tomorrow uh, when the Knicks play the Cavs, we will talk to you soon.